Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P.com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast. Where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. I'm sorry, um, just trying to figure out how I shut this off. I see next to it, I have- Ooh, you just got louder. It's recording me. Aren't you well, glad you have me as a guest today? Yeah. Well, now it's recording everything. Is like <laughs> the record button. Simplicity, right? Simplicity. Exactly what we're talking about. Okay. I'm, oh, I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure I understand. Now Siri's <laughs> in on the conversation. Oh, okay. All right. I learned so much from you ladies today. Oh. Okay. This has already been worth it for me. Okay. <laughs> Just for the tech lesson. Yeah. Thanks. You help me with my background. We're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what were we talking about? We are beyond, beyond lucky to have this guest who I also consider family. Vivi calls him Uncle James James. But when I first met James, I, I liken it to the first time I heard the cast album of Into the Woods. I was uh, intrigued. It felt unfamiliar to me. I had to work to hear the themes and I had to go beyond uh, the Disney fairy tales that I had lived in for a long time and enter into a more dark humor and uh, the dark themes of these characters. And it made me a bit uncomfortable. But then I went back and after my second and third listen, I heard more truths and I started to weep because of my lack, my lack and inability of not being able to recognize that genius. And then when I did see all of the many layers and all of the nuances of the album, of the craftsmanship, of the characters, then I started to see myself in every character. And I started to learn more about myself because of that score. And it is now my all-time favorite cast album. And that is how I feel about James Lapine. We welcome him. He has so many awards, and I'll probably get it wrong, and I, I ask that you correct me, but three Tonys, is that right? Yes. A Pulitzer? Yes. A Peabody? Yes. Critic's Choice through, you know, every pore of your person. <laughs> 
drama desks coming out of every crevice. And I am so happy we get to spend the next hour with Mr. James Lapine. James to stage, please. James Lapine to stage. Let's start by talking about this one note that lives in me. I have yet to achieve it, but you sat me down, which you do. You bring your actors into a room, probably week two of rehearsal, and you just want a one-on-one with them. It feels like we're going to the principal's office, but then you quickly learn it's more of an artist therapy session. And I love that. And you told me when we were doing Little Miss Sunshine, the highest level of mastery is simplicity. I think it was Chopin who said it's the final thing in the artistic process is simplicity that I picked that up. I could be making that up, but I kind of feel like it was Chopin who said that. But I think the more we strip away from ourselves, the more we get to the core. And I think as a performer in particular, you want to feel like you're doing something, actors, and there's a tendency to do more than you need to do because then you have a sense of of doing something rather than taking away. And I think taking away is a hard thing for all of us to do in anything we do. And as a writer, I feel the same way. Um, When am I allowing my real self to come out? And, you know, what's the core of what I'm trying to say in a scene, for instance, as a writer? I think that's just something we can carry with us in whatever we do in life really is trying to get to the core of what we're doing or what we're thinking or what we're feeling and being willing to expose ourselves that way. I think it was Hemingway that said, you just write one true sentence after another and you can tell a good writer by what he's thrown away. Mm, Mm -hmm. That's a good quote. We like that. Do you find it's easier to keep yourself in check since writing is more of a individual art form, but then making theater is more collaborative? Do you feel it's harder? Well, you know, everybody's different. And I think having been an, a visual artist is easier in a way because you're connecting more viscerally to things and not intellectually. Mm-hmm. You know? But when we're writing, when we're acting, when we're, we're doing things that are processed through the brain in a way is where you can overthink things where um, you can complicate things. I think in life we complicate things, uh, we complicate our feelings, and I think it's an ongoing process. And as a director, that moment when you can step back and remove yourself from the process and just watch what you've created and how it affects you is where you kind of learn where you're succeeding and where you're not. And that's what you bring to an actor as well, saying, I see you working here. I see you trying too hard. I see you're enjoying the process of performing instead of the process of just being. And for performers, I have to be the person on the outside that can be honest enough. Uh, Yes, you're getting a big laugh there, but what's the cost of that laugh when it's really not organic to the story or to your character? So I think that's those kind of conversations I've had with you and actors is often just that simple about trying to strip things away, letting a person feel that they can trust themselves to be in the moment and honest, and that they have an ally who's outside the process watching them to 
to help them do that, you know? So that's kind of my goal. It took me a long time to kind of figure that all out. I first met you in an audition room. And when I walked into that audition, it wasn't the typical audition. You like to speak to the person first. You kind of disarm us in a way by either mentioning something on the resume or, oh, so I hear you're dating or, oh, you went to this college. That's fancy. Do you think you're smarter than me? You throw out these things that kind of unmoor us a little bit, right? Before we go into our typical, here's the song I'm singing and what scene do you want to see first? It's stripping away all of the sort of preconceived notions of what to expect when you get in the room. And that was incredible to me as an artist, once I got past my own ego, to learn what you were doing in that moment. Uh, oddly enough, I do that for myself. It makes me engage. I try to, you know, I take notes of the people I audition because I want to, I want to have a human experience even in the audition room. Uh, even if I know I may not hire somebody, I may hire them for something else. Mm -hmm. Or I may discover something about a scene with the way they do it, that I wrote it, that I didn't understand. And yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, I'm surprised that it's a big deal to people because I would assume everyone would do that, you know, to try to stay focused and alive and be, if I'm present, then you'll be present. Is that why you work so well with children, do you think? Absolutely. I love children. Because they have no bad habits there. Children don't have that um, baggage. They don't have the baggage yet. And they have no guile. They're just right there. Exactly. They're not self-questioning what they're doing or being neurotic about it. Unfortunately, a lot of children have been drilled by parents and teachers when they come in a room, which I find mm -hmm. really kind of sad. I like to have a kid who is not necessarily show busy, you know, who, who is just there, you know, and are kind of raw and uh, open to experiences. And I think that's so great for adults. I like having kids in shows because it makes the adults behave. <laughs> it does. Well, the thing about theater is it's child's play. I mean, mm -hmm. when you bring it right down and uh, when we get the bug or whatever and having a child around sort of reminds us of that, the innocence of it and the joy of it before we get damaged. <laughs> exactly. I was much older when I had my son. And as I started to watch him grow, one of my favorite things in the world was to watch his discovery of the world, the way he saw things. And then you start to realize all the crap that we put on everything. Kids help you become aware of your own patterns because mm -hmm. they're so innocent. They see everything for the first time. I just loved like from age two to like six, which just it was delicious to me to watch those discoveries every day on the littlest things that we just take for granted. Going back to stillness, do you practice yoga? Yes. The way you spoke about stillness, I figured that you probably did. Is it a daily practice for you? No, but I've been doing it for a pretty long time uh, on and off. And I, I, to me, it's not about stillness. It's about balance. And mm -hmm. that thing in your head where 
you're, you know, you could lose your balance, lose your center. And I love yoga for that, the way you have to really connect to your center and, and, and find your balance. Yeah. When you're teaching a yoga class, if you teach a balanced pose, if people have chattering minds, they literally can't do a balanced pose. Right. Hmm. So you know that they're focused if they can get into a balanced pose because their mind is quiet. Yeah. yeah it's, true. it's fun to watch. <sighs> That's me. <laughs> what are the what are the first couple words in Sunday in the Park with George? <gasps> oh. Balance is one of them. Yeah, order, balance, design, symmetry. Composition. I should know this, right? I could put well, it, read it to you. <laughs> I did write it 40 years ago. So yeah, order, balance. Um, it's it's all the principles of, of, of art, really, in a way, design. Um, the last one is order and um now, Design. not to give away your book since it's dropping soon, but is yeah. that how it all started with those five words, the creation of yeah. Sunny in the Park? No, I'm trying to remember how the heck I got those words or whether they were Syrah's words or I think I just made them up. Uh, it sounds like you. To me, it sounds like uh, you. Oh, see, it says white, a blank page or canvas, the challenge, bring order to the whole through design, composition, balance, light and harmony. Hmm. Harmony. Wrote that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Pulitzer <laughs> Prize brilliant. winning for drama. <laughs> they got something right. Out of those words, what do you think you practice the most in your life? Oh, I pra practice. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, probably none of them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are words. They're aspirational words. You know, I think. You have moments of harmony and balance and composition in your day-to-day -day life, but putting them all together at one moment, it's like yoga, you know, maybe you have it for two seconds while you're in tree pose and, you know, when and then and the minute you focus on it, it disappears. Yeah. When yeah. all the elements come together and you can just be in that moment where everything lines up. Uh, but that's, that's a lot about art and about Syrah and, and his, methodology and creating a work of art, you know, which was um, oddly enough, pretty uh, intellectual, mm -hmm. you know, kind of an intellectual painter. He wasn't doing this all the time on a, on a canvas. He was, you know, one little at a time. Uh, You're pretty cerebral yourself though. Don't you think? I don't know. I mean, I'm not very, uh, I don't think a lot about myself. So <laughs> I don't, I'm not self-analytical, if you know what I mean. I don't, um, I don't know. You know, I did a lot of drugs in my day, you know. I yeah, sure. I spent a lot of time in my head, and, and now I, I I got that out of my way. And um, so That's probably I, but, a healthier bit. Well, in a way it is. Things drift in, things drift out. My hardest thing is um, focus. That's my, my always been my challenge as a kid, you know, I just talked talking to some young kids and, and, you know, I could watch them. There's, you know, 20 of them in the room and half of them are like, you know, staring out the window and whatever. And I'm, that would have been me, you know, I, I, in school, particularly in high school, I always was in the last row in the corner staring out of the window. Um, mm -hmm. Focus was always a challenge for me. So maybe that's why I like yoga too, because it makes me work on, being in a, in a moment. And I find that in a rehearsal room too. I don't know if you found it working with me, you know, the, the fight to be in the moment and, and make the most of every moment. So 
I don't know. I think we all have our own personal struggles and Oh, for sure. In, in whatever we do, you know, in every aspect of our life. So uh, that's mine. I think oh. most of the creative minds are in the back of the classroom looking out the window. It's just uh, the creative mind doesn't lend itself to absorbing, memorizing and regurgitating. It yeah. takes it in and then goes off on some strange path and wanders away. And I mean, that's what that's what it is. That's what having that creative mind is. Could be. But, you know, I think as you mature, um, you learn to rein in. If I had had inspiring teachers, I probably wouldn't be staring out the window. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest thing about great teachers, particularly in, say, a public high school, is they're teaching the same material year after year. Yep. And, um, you know, trying to get 30 kids all focused and together and listening is just really hard. Yeah. And um, Did you enjoy teaching? You know, I, I, I taught. And, and no, I wasn't particularly good at teaching, but I'm very good at uh, one-offs. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm good coming in for two hours and teaching something or three hours. But as a guest lecturer week, or a master class, yeah, or something. Yeah. week after week, I got fired. You know, my last teaching <laughs> job, I got fired because um, I wasn't very good. You know, I, I first of all, I was working and the Fashion Institute of Technology and teaching in the design school. And they would assign you, it was state university, they would assign you the courses to teach. And I didn't know what I was teaching. You know, so this three- brocade paisley <laughs> fabric. Well, it was more the, uh, the uh, three-point perspective drawing that I was like, <laughs> the night before, I'm there calling up my design. <laughs> and says, I don't know how to do this. You know, what's the horizon line, whatever. And my students gave me a terrible evaluation. And I got fired. Oh, you know, I could, I could bluff my way through window design, which was... Um, one of the things I did. <laughs> it was all pretty funny. Um, and it was funny because the day I got fired was the day the first play I wrote got produced and opened. Oh my gosh. Really? I've like, uh, you know, one thing went out the window and something else came in. So, you know, it's kind of worked out. I want to go back, if we could, for just a minute to Sunday in the Park with George, because your new book, Putting It Together, is coming out on August 3rd. I've already pre-ordered that oh, book. I'll send you the um, book. All right. Oh, I would, I would love if you would send me that book. Sunday in the Park with George was the reason I became an actor. Now, why is that? Well, it's hard to explain because it touched me on so many levels. But the way I grew up, they were, you weren't going to be an actor. You don't go to college to be an actor. Why even go to college? You're just going to get married. So girls didn't have careers. Girls didn't go and do things. I heard that music and there was something about the way he craved so much to express who he was. I just connected with him. I wrote my whole senior thesis on Sunday in the Park with George. That show just grabbed me. And it was the first Broadway show I ever saw. My mom brought me there. She was like, will you please stop playing the damn CD if I bring you to the show? And they and brought you me went to New in, York. You went in the 80s. I went, yep. And I sat, I cried from the moment it started to the moment it ended. So many levels, so many layers. It, you never stop dissecting it. And I mm, just true. loved that show. I adored it. Not to open a wound, but why do you think audiences weren't getting it the way Mary Lee got it in the 80s, right? Because it wasn't welcomed with 
great acclaim, whatever that means. But now we look back and it defines like present day musical theater and musical theater at a very different level. I did not see that one. I was just 12 or 13 at the time, but I saw the, was it Roundabout that did the revival? Yeah, I saw that too. It was a moment in time where you're like, I want to be one of those characters. I want to feel as deeply and as in color and with um, that much detail as they did. And then you walk out the back doors, you know, and onto whatever avenue and you go, oh boy, okay, how long can we hold on to what we just experienced? So, I feel similarly. It just took me a couple, you know, decades later. But why the hell did they not get it? In that experience, you know, when we did it, and um, and it's a sort of ineffable piece. I think um, I have no idea why people related to it the way they do. Obviously, as creative people, you would relate to it. And um, Steve and I he was going through a big change in his life, you know, because he had just come off a big flop with Merrily We Roll Along. He was now, had always worked with Hal Prince, and now suddenly he was working with somebody who was 20 years, almost 20 years his junior. And um, I think it was just, um, I don't think we set out knowing what we were doing and that was going to have any, you know, you don't, you don't, I mean, I guess if you're writing something that has real commercial possibilities, you're keeping in mind, you know, oh, this is going to be a great number and this will do this. And this. we just didn't approach it that way. And we were in the trenches. I don't know. You know, the book is interesting was for me to go back and revisit uh, that two year period from the day I met him to the day it opened to just try to recreate it. And by that way, kind of remember who I was and who he was and. Um, it's just an interesting book to write. It's it's like a memoir as well as how do you write a musical. And it's very detailed, the book, um, which I think will be interesting to those of you in particular who like the show to kind of find out how it came came about. But I think that was the example of channeling something rather mm-hmm. than being intellectual about it. There was just something emotional that just came out, you know, um, that was in the subconscious rather than conscious. And I found with Steve, you know, he started writing very, you know, I told you how meticulous he was about everything, but then as it picked up steam, he, I think also got onto a wavelength of Mm. the subconscious and the emotional and, uh, and when songs like finishing the hat and Sunday came out, they were coming from, a really deep place that was not not processed through the intellect so much, but more through the heart and the poetry of it. So in talking about it coming from a subconscious level, that was what I was writing in that paper that I wrote about you. Um, It was that you were a descendant of Surat. We know that he at least had one child with his model, possibly more. Um, And I think it said that the child passed away, but they weren't sure. And so in my writing, I imagined that you were the actual descendant of that child, just like in the play. And that it was your genetic memory of Sarah in your DNA that was compelling you to tell the story. So it was kind of otherworldly. Well, you know, it's interesting also because we didn't realize that we started writing it exactly 100 years after he started the painting. You didn't know that. No, and that we finished two years later and he finished two years later. 
Whoa. So when the show opened, it was still a hundred years from the from the, the birth of the painting. So I don't dismiss the idea of a genetic kind of or some whatever you called it before that it was in the zeitgeist or whatever. And yeah. what shocked me was when reviews came out and it was all about Steve and Syrah, because it was like is that because he had a beard and everybody thought, oh, it's Stephen Sondheim writing about being a creator or something. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, not very well known. So uh, that was a kind of a su surprise to me that the show was mostly written about in context of him and mm -hmm. his career and what he was coming off of and da, 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 da. da. And, um, were you a father at the time when you were writing it? No. Oh. Woods was the show I wrote for, for Phoebe being a father. Yeah. Where did children and art come from then? Because mm. as a mom, you know, again, I've spoken to this. You listen to pieces before you're a, a parent or be, before something monumental happens in your life, whether that's a death or a birth. And then you revisit a piece and man, you hear everything so oh. differently. And that song, children and art always struck a chord, always was beautiful but then when you're a parent and an artist, holy crap. I have no idea where that came from. It just wow. came out. You know, I wrote the line and then he took that line and he went, that's a song. You know, he'd <sighs> do that sometime and he'd go, that's a song, you know. Wow. And um, that's that's what a marriage is. You know, somebody I was talking to about the show and he said, oh, it, feels like you, you know, you were a couple, you were like a married couple doing this. And I said, well, we were, you know, we got in bed together and, and, and we grew very, very close. And so that our minds, you know, in the same with Bill Finn, I've been very lucky to have just one other collaborator. And I like that because it's two people in a room. The minute you start adding a lyricist and a composer and a book writer and a director, and then you bring in a choreographer, it's like, it's hard to get in sync, but when there's just two of you doing everything, it's much easier to get in each other's heads and, and have a cohesive piece. Do you like to plant many seeds and see what comes up after six months or a year, or do you focus on one thing? Let's get this done. Let's see what happens uh, with this know, project. Focus on one thing, and now I'm I'm more spreading, I'm spreading myself out a little bit at the moment. You know, which I find hard, difficult, mm -hmm. compartmentalize as a writer. Anyway, working on more than one project. Um, but no, when I was in my twenties, you know, I was um. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't set out to be in the theater. You know, it just was one remarkable, bizarre, that's where life led me and uh, without any plan at all. So, uh, you know, I went to this wonderful graduate school called California Institute of the Arts and it had just begun. And it was based on, um, I think it's called the Black Mountain College. But the idea was, that it was uh, music, dance, design, uh, film, um, the other critical thinking, mm. uh, all these different uh, art forms. And you were in this, they built it. So there was one enormous space that was used for uh, concerts, music school, uh, used for the art school to um, hang art. And you, to get to any class, you'd always have to walk through this space. 
And you are constantly being exposed to every art form. And um, the school was liberating in that it's didn't you didn't have to take any particular course, which is why I didn't learn three-point perspective drawing. But <laughs> I mean, I learned about dance and theater and music just by living in that environment. And you, it was immersive. And you felt liberated that you didn't have to do this thing or that thing. You know, you could be drawn to whatever you wanted to do. And it really opened my mind to the possibility of not being narrow, but being broad. And is know? that where you discovered that you, you were a great writer? Well, you know, I, I did live in my head a lot, but I, people ask me how I learned to write. And I say, I was a waiter for many, many years. <laughs> uh, I was a waiter in restaurants. And then I got this gig in New York when I came to New York working for a uh, caterer who happened to be the kind of fancy caterer in New York. And going to these parties of, you know, all these famous, wealthy, whatever people. And I love just standing on the outside, watching everybody do their thing. That was the theater. And I think, and listening, because I, I like to, um, you know, I'm an eavesdropper. So, and, and, um, and so when I started to write, I realized that I heard all these voices and these characters and, and um, it came very naturally. Did you ever think about being a psychologist? Well, I certainly did a lot of therapy. I know, that's why. <laughs> I am a director, which is a therapist. I am a psychologist. And I guess I you're right. I it as a director. And I couldn't, sit, I couldn't sit in an office for 50 minutes and sit in a chair. I'm not a sitter. I've got to move, you know. And that's why I couldn't sit at the back of the class, you know, the sitting part. Uh, I just have a lot of energy. No, in fact, the first play I did was called 12 Dreams. Uh, and it was about a shrink. Um, and that was the first thing I did. And it was a very visual piece. I was really more drawn to avant-garde theater. That was an interesting way that I was able to cross over from the visual arts into theater, because the first thing I did was more visual than it was written and then I kept working on it uh, and, and refined my writing skills. Um, the fascinating story about a psychiatrist whose 10 year old daughter gave him a book of dreams for Christmas, 12 dreams. And uh, he couldn't make sense of it. Carl Jung um, was an associate of his and, and he gave the dreams to Carl Jung but didn't tell them where they came from. He typed them all up and just said, I, I have a patient or whatever. And these dreams came and Jung came back and, and said, I think these are the dreams of an old person. And the, the, the father said, why? And he said, well, they're all images of death and, and impending doom. And it just seems to be the kind of dreams you would have at the end of your life. And his 10 year old daughter died six months later. <sighs> Wow. I still get chills when I tell I that just so did hard. too. Oh my gosh. And it stayed with me and I just um it's it's a play that I've done about three times, trying to make it better each time, but it's it's so I I started the first version I did was mostly the dreams and creating these visual images. And then I started working on the writing of the exchange between the two psychiatrists and um, the father, who was also a widower, 
So he was raising this child alone. And uh, so it's it a pretty intense, interesting story. We look at your career, it's totally diverse. It's like you said, all different art forms as director and author and designer. But there are two uh, co-creators that you work with a lot, and that's Sondheim and Finn. How do these two artists keep coming into your life? And, you know, how are they very different in the way you create with Sondheim and create with Mm -hmm. Finn? They couldn't be more different. Let me just say that if you want to pick two people who were worked in the same field in a completely different way, those would probably be the two. Bill is, um, I met Bill at Playwrights Horizons and I had only done one play. I'd done the first play after 12 Dreams, which was done as a, like in in an avant-garde setting. Um, I I decided as I was teaching design at the Fashion Institute, I did have to do something (laughs) else with my life. And I thought, I wonder if I could write a play that could make some money. So I I wrote this this kind of semi-avant-garde, semi-Jewish comedy uh, called Table Settings. And Bill was also working at Playwrights Horizons and he saw the production and he said, that guy can direct a musical. And he had um, this sketch of a musical, it was like, five songs maybe that turned out to be March the Falsettos. And we really did it um, completely on, uh, you know, it was a day, it doesn't exist anymore where a producer says, okay, I'll give you this theater for two months and one month you can rehearse and one month you can put on your show. And we just started with five songs and these wacky characters. And and I got a, a pegboard and some cards. And I said, well, you know, we got to figure out what the story is and how things go. And every day we'd go up and, well, Bill, I can't have her sing a song and then sing another song. So we need to put something in between. So let's figure out what that is. And then I introduced the character of the boy because I like working with kids. And mm-hmm. it came together so organically. Um, and it became a kind of a sensation. We were up in this little 90-seat theater where the ceiling was so low and it was literally tin can lights. Uh, and it was liberating. You know, we had nothing to lose and we were just having a good time. And then when I met Sondheim, of course, it was the complete opposite. Um, but again, because I was kind of a neophyte, I had only seen one show of his, which was Sweeney Todd. So when I walked into that meeting, I knew that he was a big deal, but I didn't really clock exactly why. That was uh, just a joy in a whole other way. Steve is is an analyst, you know, and he works from up here and Bill kind of works from here. And they both have both. They're both brilliant guys and they both have big hearts, uh, but they approach it differently. Bill just kind of throws it up and then cleans up the mess. He delivers something that it's so refined and perfected before he lets it out of his hands, that it was just a wonderfully different process. Do you prefer one process to the other because you're sort of in the middle? Yeah, no, I don't. I I don't have a preference. My preference is wanting to be in the room with people I like and stimulate Mm -hmm. me, period. Same with casting actors and whatever. I always try to make a happy group and, and be around people that are stimulating and, and passionate. They certainly are, and I try to go off of that with with the people I assemble to do a show. Sometimes I don't succeed, but there it is. Well, I can only speak to the 
two casts that I've been a part of and they were both joyous and fantastic. And, you know, the cast of Falsettos, the revival, it was lightning in the bottle, the way we've connected, the way. But then I do hear all of the casts before us and the casts after us feel similarly. So it's either your hand that puts these amazing individual messy, complicated artists together that fall in love with each other and tell the story, or there's something about that particular story of falsettos that unites and bonds us in a way that just won't sever. Yeah, it's it's wonderful that way. And the other reason it's wonderful is you all have so much uh, to do, you know, mm-hmm. it's five people and then it becomes seven, but you're all so integral to a show that you really are a team. It's like a sports team. You have got to bond and you have got to hold hands and you know carry each other through it because it's you can't relax in that show. Do you have a favorite show that you've worked on, one that really stays with you in a special way? It's a good question. I, I hope it's the next one always. Mm, <laughs> mm, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, if you, I, I always, hope it's the next one. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it isn't, you know, I don't, you don't, you don't have those experiences every time. And the bigger the shows I've done, the harder it is when you start dealing with 10, 12, 14, 16 people in a cast, it's very hard to keep, keep the peace and keep everyone together. And, and, and idle minds, you know, what is it? Idle hands, idle, whatever that is. You know, when you're have a small part, it's much harder than having a big part. That's right. You know, and yeah. for me to keep the attention, it's like what I was talking about in this group yesterday and myself as a student, I want actors. And I was telling this to the kids that even if you're in the chorus, I want, as I'm directing, I want your attention on me, even though I'm not even talking to you, I'm talking to the lead because my, if I see somebody off on their phone or chatting or, you know, not being focused in the room, it draws my energy away and everybody else's. So um, that's a special skill for somebody, particularly a young person or somebody coming out of school. You know, I tried to say to them, you'll learn if you just listen and focus, even if it isn't about you, you know, and, and you'll learn about the show and you, you'll learn a lot about the craft. And now it's time for the five questions. If you could go back and speak to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself? What advice would I give my 20-year? I would probably just tell myself it's all going to be great. I don't know that I was worried about a whole lot when I was 20 because, you know, when I was 20, I was facing the draft to go to Vietnam War. So uh, we had real world problems, you know, on our mind. Uh, And, you know, that's why I went to graduate school. I didn't really want to go to graduate school particularly, but um, I had to stay in school to get a deferment. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think there was a lot uh, on our minds, you know, we thought we were going to be able to change the world and we were doing all kinds of, you know, marches and sit-ins and this and that, and life seemed to have a purpose. And, um, but it also, you know, I knew, knew guys who went to, to Vietnam, didn't come back from my high school. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be in school. So 
in a funny kind of way, it was more a worldview than a personal view for mm-hmm. me at that point. I was mm-hmm. less concerned about, oh my God, what am I going to do for a living? And, you know, where am I going to live? Then like, yikes, you know, yeah. what, Survival. what war keeps going on and, you know, I have to go get drafted. Yeah. Tell us something about yourself that most people do not know. And you can't say drugs because now we know that you've all done, <laughs> we all know you've done drugs. No, I have to t- first of all say I stopped doing drugs in my 20s. So it was, you know, I have to make it clear that I'm not a drug addict. <laughs> uh, what don't people know about me? Uh, well, I think some people think I'm a very cool, cool cucumber or whatever that expression is. And actually I'm internally an emotional wreck how's that um do you have any good luck charm or superstition before you release a book before you you know put a new play out into the world is there any sort of good luck charm or i used to have a ritual where there was this is way back where there was some kind of powder that was that was supposedly good for the success in the theater or something and i'd make the entire cast i'd sprinkle it in everybody's hand for the first preview and we'd all wipe our hands in it and i gave that up but um no i don't actually have any i'm not superstitious and no you know no. i don't think so do you do you remember any particular thing i did that other than like at 4 p.m. when we start to lose our focus, then we would all open our mouths and you'd throw gummy bears in our mouth to see if we could catch them. I mean, there is that. <laughs> okay. I like to feed the fish or whatever it is. Yes. Yep, feed the fish is what he would call it. Literally, grown adults and children alike, you're standing there with your mouth wide open so he can toss gummy bears into your mouth and we all try to catch them it was a great reset i will say that it's the great unifier standing with your mouth open for james as he tosses food into the (laughs) air and nobody balked you know in that company i can see trying to do that in other companies and people like you know bringing me up on charges with equity (laughs) (laughs) that's true when we come back i don't know if you're going to be able to continue to do that my friend. There has to be a child in the cast to be able to <laughs> justify it. Because <laughs> as you recall, it was the kids that started first and then the adults started. It's true. It's true. Now, so. Okay. If you could have any ability, what would it be that you wish you could do? I wish I could be a great singer. Hmm. I think when I watch people sing, it's so pure and and it uses a part of the brain and the soul that, you know, is unique. And um, I'm jealous of it and I wish I could sing well and I'd love to have a cabaret act. I do. I mean, I would love to take songs and, and interpret them. All right, this is the big heavy question. Clear your mind. If you were a nail polish color, what would that color be? And what would the cheeky little name be? I think I would choose, isn't there like a clear? Yeah, I would choose that. And uh, what would I call it? Um, simplicity. Oh, I love oh, it. And he's come full circle. He has directed this interview to yes. come full circle. James Lapine, you're a joy to me and my family. I appreciate you so very much. Well, you know, this was actually fun. I was kind of 
thinking, oh no, is it going to be heavy and whatnot? Mary Lee, so great to talk to you. You know, wonderful. So thank you so much for taking the time pleasure. to do it. My pleasure. It means a lot. My pleasure. And I adore you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Take care. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after a word from our sponsor. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our theme song says love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages, and love where you are now. And now, here's what struck a chord with us. That's James Lapine. I can't. I'm really ready to cry right now. (laughs) He's very special. He's very special. And the thing is, it's like he will always be a bit self-deprecating, but you know behind his eyes that I think he really gets what he has brought to our art form what his voice and his point of view has brought to our art form. Because when you do speak with him, he doesn't have patented answers. He doesn't have the run of the mill, take a breath and then just start spewing off an answer he has said a hundred times over. He really thinks about things and goes, "Uh, I don't know. And he's not afraid to say, I know this genius human is still one of those that goes, I'm not sure where that came from. I I just respect him greatly. I think one of the hardest things to do in life is come back to the simplicity and the stillness. It's so hard because the world is not simple and there is no stillness. I mean, Mm -hmm. everywhere you look, it's just noise and clatter and Mm -hmm. busy, busy, busy. And our phones are in our hands. And he just keeps reminding himself to come back to stillness. And, Mm -hmm. And that takes so much courage. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to be on stage and be still or even on camera and be still. He has spoken a lot about that sort of stillness and being present and the lack of that in current days, because when he speaks of Sunday in the park with George, I remember him saying, you know, all the different trials that they went through and that um, they were essentially flying the plane as they were learning along the way. And he wanted to do it without mics at all. He wanted it raw sound and very present. And so people had to lean in and listen. And Mm. he said, Stephanie, if social media existed back then, this piece would never be known to the world. There would be too many people saying, you know, all sorts of opinions and highlighting all the mistakes and all of the deficiencies, and they wouldn't allow this piece of art to move forward and, and fly. And what a tragedy that would have been. And now I think about all the pieces now where everybody has a big opinion and they're the first to start writing something at intermission. And you've just got to let art be still for a while and Mm -hmm. breathe and grow. And that's another thing that I take to heart in my life. Just give it a second. 
The interesting thing about judgmental people, though, is that they're usually pretty wounded, and that's where the judgment comes from. You know, they've probably been criticized harshly as a young person and develop these wounds, and that's their defense mechanism. They just become critical of the world around them. But, but to get back to um, how much today's interview meant to me, it really meant a lot because that show changed the trajectory of my life. It meant a lot to me as a young person. I'm yeah. so glad. We'll make yeah. sure that book gets to you. I want it too. I remember last Christmas, um, he sent the newest version of uh, Into the Woods, the libretto of Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. It was to Vivi. It was wrapped all in you know paper that was so beautiful and in his own writing. And then you open the book and it said, um, to Vivi, welcome to the woods. Love Uncle James, James. And I, oh I was God. like, she has no idea no what idea. this gift is and the worth of it and the heart of it. And I'm breaking down crying. And she's looking at me like, what's wrong, mama? It's a book. What? But Is it a bad book? What's the that, matter with you? <laughs> that will always be a real treasure to me. And is our friendship is a real treasure to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're so lucky to have worked with him. Honestly, it's wow. It's he's amazing. And, you know, I wanted to say it in the interview, but I, I didn't want to interrupt him talking. You were brilliant in Facetos. Oh, thank you. You were brilliant. I can still picture that breaking down song so clearly. I, I thought you were genius in that show. Just genius. He, he speaks of simplicity and stillness, but he allows for messiness. And when you have that freedom to show the messy and then live there for a little while and then shave back, I think that's where brilliance can live. And he cultivates that sort of ecosystem when you're, cre- yeah. when you're creating, bring the messy and then we'll start shaving back. And that's what breaking down, believe it or not, there was more crap in breaking down than you actually saw when it hit the stage in front of an audience, we had yeah. more props, more, you know, uh, gestures for every word. And then we found the perfect balance of yeah. watching comedy and deep, deep depression all come together at a head. So I'm grateful to him for sure. I'm grateful to you, my friend, for bringing him on because that was fantastic. Ah, thanks. I love you. I love you too. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. We'd like to give a big thank you to our assistant editor and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you, Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Ben Walding, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. 